Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. Back from the Farm Progress Show, a very successful Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois. Great weather, and good to have the show back and people in attendance and things going again. We'll be, in a few days, headed to Grand Island, Nebraska for Husker Harvest Days. Do it all over again. But uh, good to see a lot of people this week in Decatur and a lot of... um, Good discussions about some very important issues we'll be talking about, including some on our program today. Today we're going to talk with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Going to get an update on that West Coast port backup situation. And has there been any improvement and what impact does that have on our exports as well as products coming in that we need. We're going to talk markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. He was at the Farm Progress Show this week. And we're going to talk about how biodiesel can help clean the air, why that uh, will, is especially important in certain communities. We'll talk about that with Kurt Kavarik with the National Biodiesel Board. So all that coming up today, but first let's talk it over with Todd Neely, DTN reporter. Todd, good to talk with you. I had a chance to stop by the DTN building at the uh, Farm Progress Show and talked with some of your some of your colleagues, and it was uh, good to catch up with them. Uh, I think a couple things I heard a lot kind of over and over at the Farm Progress Show this week. What are what are concerns that uh, farmers have, of the ag community has, and I think uh, proposed tax changes right up there, uh, proposed yeah. changes for waters of the U.S., that's right up there, frustration that more is not being done to promote biofuels. Those were some of the uh, kind of the th- themes that we heard over and over this week. Yeah, Mike, you know, it's uh, it's really, it's kind of a, a nice thing to see people back out and actually, uh, you know, getting together at these shows. I mean, this time last year, we had uh, such a lockdown that there was just nothing going on. There was nothing that seemed a normal lifestyle. And uh, just just the fact that farmers can get out and, and talk about these things, I think that's really important for the kind of the psyche of rural America, too. But mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, many of those issues you brought up that you heard about this week, I think uh, a lot of those things are still floating out there. There's really no, uh, there's really no sense that, uh, you know, agriculture is really being heard on a lot of these fronts. You know, uh, we had a federal court that basically vacated the Trump water rule, which was, you know, very uh, highly supported by ag. And you're right, we're still waiting on RFS and the EPA, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of talk about EPA dialing back on the RFS. And so, uh, if anything, these farm, you know, farm progress shows and others, at least, at least people can get out and talk in person and, and, uh, try to have some normalcy and, uh, you know, get, you know, air out a lot of these concerns. What do you make of EPA's request to be able to go back and review some of the small refinery exemptions they've already granted? Now, they're not saying they're going to reverse them, but they want to go back and look right. at them again. What do you make of that? Well, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, the Supreme Court had ruled against uh, against the EPA uh, when it came, you know, to its side. It it, uh, it basically wanted uh, to apply the, you know, the Tenth Circuit ruling that was that was made in January 2020. Um, and so I think that, you know, EPA is at a point in time now where I, I think that they understand that there are some things that, you know, clearly there's some things that they should be doing on the RFS that they haven't been doing. Um, and if anything, you know, now at least the, the agency is showing some signs that it, uh, you know, maybe wants to go back and look at the Tenth Circuit ruling, even after the Supreme Court ruled against them, uh, and try to figure out what can be done uh, on the small refinery exemption program, what, you know, what they can apply even still from that Tenth Circuit ruling, um, you know, to, to maybe fix that program. And so I think it's I think it's a good, at least somewhat of a glimmer of hope that the EPA is, is, is at least attempting to try to right the ship. There are efforts to get more help for biofuels and biofuels uh, infrastructure into some of the uh, the spending bills that are out there, infrastructure and other spending programs. Uh, there's been concern about how biofuels has been left out. Some are pushing yeah. harder for that. We'll see if it gets done or not. 
Yeah, you know, and I think, uh, you know, this is, you know, as we talked about many times, this is a perfect place to really address some of these issues. You know, if we're going to be looking at infrastructure, you know, across the board, I mean, there's a lot of ways that biofuels can play, uh, play into, you know, not only reducing carbon emissions, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a real economic tool in rural America. And I think uh, hopefully, you know, there's some of that's being seen in Congress. I think there's a general bipartisan support of biofuels, uh, at least among federal lawmakers. Now, I don't know whether, um, you know, whether EPA is there yet on that, on that particular side of things. But I, I do think that just seeing Congress at least considering some of these things, I, I think that that's a good sign. And on the waters of the U.S., I mean, this is not a new concern for farmers. This has been one for some yeah. time. I remember when, when, when Donald Trump was running for president and in, going into that election, the two issues many, many farmers have right at the top of their list going into that election was Supreme Court justices and waters yeah. of the U.S. I mean, that's how important it was, and they were so unhappy with that 2015 rule. It took four years to get it changed. Now, here we go again. We're not right. sure how this administration might change it, but I think the, the feeling is that it might not be uh, in agriculture's favor or it might not be a positive for agriculture. Yeah, Mike, I would agree. I think we, you know, all we can do is look at history. Um, you know, and President Biden was part of the Obama administration and, you know, the administration that put out the 2015 rule. And so there are a lot of the same players involved this time around uh, in looking at the waters of the U.S. and then putting together a new rule. And I think that is, you know, that is some reason for concern. That was a far-reaching rule. Um, it was, uh, I think some people would say that, you know, even agriculture, although, it had a bit of a voice in that. It, it really wasn't any significant factor in how they uh, how they put together the 2015 rule. Um, it's really hard to say right now what EPA is doing. You know, they're holding listening sessions and those sorts of things on a rewrite. Um, but it would it would really behoove the agency, I think, to actually get out into rural America and hold hearings and really to hear from people about it because it is a very large concern. It affects land use. It affects uh, you know, just a lot of things that the farmers deal with on a daily basis. One other note real quick before we let you go, and th this is not a surprise, we expected this, but USDA's Economic Research Service said this week in its farm sector income forecast, farmers' financial earnings expected to go up, but so are input costs. Yeah, yeah you know, Mike, that, that's a great point. It seems like when one goes up, the other goes up, and, and vice versa, and you're right. I uh, you know, we've been following, you know, for example, fertilizer prices have been just going up, up and up all summer. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, I think, you know, the good news is we've got commodity prices that are much improved. And I think uh, farmers are seeing and reaping the benefits of that. But you're right. It's, uh, it's always a battle, battling between inputs and what you're going to get for your crop. And, and right now, there's really no sign that inputs are going down at any time soon. Todd, good to talk with you. Have a good holiday weekend. All right. Thank you, Mike. Take care. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Up next, we're going to talk with the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan Hallstrom will join us. What's the latest on that West Coast port backup issue? We'll get the latest next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're putting proven yield advantage to work in your fields. Extend Flex soybeans offer elite genetics built on the proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. In fact, farmers saw a four bushel per acre advantage and a 70% average win rate over Enlist E3 soybeans in 2020 germplasm trials. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices.
Channel Seedsmen don't just sell soybean seed. You can trust them to understand your fields and place Channel Soybean products to perform. With a Roundup Ready Extend crop system, including triple stacked Channel Extend Flex soybeans, you can be confident you're getting the excellent weed control you want and high yield potential you need to make the most of the season. Find a Seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Always enjoy our conversations with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan joins us now. Dan, good to talk with you again, and happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you, Mike. Much appreciated. All right. Let's talk about that port situation on the West Coast. Any improvement? No, uh, I hate to report, Mike, that it's actually gone the other direction. Um, you know, earlier this summer we were seeing some significant uh, improvement in the right direction, but uh, especially the last six or eight weeks, uh, we've seen it go the other way, and uh, the congestion on the west con- uh, west coast continues to uh, compound, uh, and we continue to have significant numbers of containers of not only beef and pork, but a lot of commodity products that are backed up. And this impacts both exports and imports, right? Products coming in as well. It does. And actually, imports uh, imports are, are, are a bit of the, uh, are compounding a little bit of the issue mm-hmm. for the exports because seasonally, as you get into late summer or into the fall, uh, it's a peak season for, for imported products, especially as you get closer and closer to the holidays. So we knew this would happen. This is a normal trend. But with the situation that we were dealing with prior with the congestion and the fact that we really hadn't worked out of it yet, this is compounding and adding to the uh, headaches that that our exporters are dealing with on a daily basis. So how has it impacted our meat exports? Has that slowed us considerably, caused big problems, or how would you describe it? Well, um, I think the impact is that, well, two things. Number one is uh, our exports are still on record pace, um, especially on beef, but, but a slight uh, ahead of, slightly ahead of last year's record on pork as well. 
so in that regard, uh, the, the trend lines look good. But the point is that they could have been better. And uh, mm-hmm. we literally have thousands of containers that are backing up uh, on the West Coast. Um, so let, until you actually get it shipped and delivered, you don't have a sale. So this is a little bit of a concern. Um, so, yeah, it may not, looking at the stats, it may not look like it's impacting us, but the reality is it, it is, and, uh, and these numbers uh, could have been better. Yeah, we're all starting to get used, whether we like it or not, to ordering something and then waiting for it. And that's kind of where we're at, right? You can make a sale, but it, it, until you can deliver it, it's not complete. Exactly right, Mike. And, uh, and like I said, it's, it's a wide range of uh, commodity products, not just uh, our world of, of red meat protein. But, uh, you know, that being said, the, the real concern I have uh, as well is that uh, we're starting to see uh, – concern of some key trading partners, you know, like, like the Japan market and the Korean market, and, and the list goes on. And one of our, you know, aside from having the highest quality and safest products in the world, we have a pretty darn good reputation as a reliable supplier. So, uh, you know, this is definitely putting some of that at, at risk, without a doubt. So how long do you see this going? I mean, it, even if it gets resolved, it would seem to take a while to work through the backlog. So what kind of timetable are you seeing on this? Well, I think uh, I think we're uh, unfortunately well into early next year. Hopefully, uh, we get the holiday season this fall behind us. The shipments in for the holiday season, which, like I said earlier, is really the peak time is now through November for the most part. And then hopefully we can see see it uh, go back to normal. Now, that's not being said that we're just sitting back and waiting for that time frame to happen. Uh, the good news side of things is we are getting more and more traction uh, and visibility on this issue uh, throughout the uh, the government as well. And uh, there's been some bipartisan legislation that's been recently introduced uh, uh, called the Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 2021. And this is an attempt to draw attention to these issues and the need for some sort of uh, uh, of help, so to speak, to uh, lessen the impact. And, uh, you know, the, the issues are wide-ranging. We, we have increasing demerge and det- detention charges. We have shipment delays that I mentioned earlier. In case, some cases you're looking at four or five, six-week shipment delays. And, and, of course, the other thing is this is all very inflationary in terms of skyrocketing freight rate costs. It's not just in the U.S., but globally these freight rate costs are through the roof. And it's bled over into air shipment costs as well for cargo. So this is all a very, very inflationary environment. And uh, hopefully, um, you know, this, this bill that was recently introduced uh, focuses on eliminating some of these detention and demerge charges and drawing some attention to filling some of these outbound, some of this outbound space that is actually leaving the U.S. empty rather than full of some of our cargo. So, uh, I think all in all, this is this is a good move, and, and hopefully we'll get some visibility in Washington on this issue. We're talking with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, I know you were very happy to be able to once again hold your product showcase with more than 130 red meat buyers from 21 countries across Central and South America and the Caribbean. As you uh, gathered together recently, to have that back again was a big uh, step, wasn't it? It sure was. Yeah, it was our tenth, uh, our tenth Latin American showcase. The tenth was supposed to happen last year. Of course, due to COVID, we had to delay it. But uh, we did pull it off a week ago down in uh, Costa Rica, and uh, uh, three hundred almost three hundred and fifty people there. And uh, the, the feedback in the last week from from members and exporting members and the buyers uh, was really very positive. So. Uh, there's pent-up demand to get together and do business in person, and uh, we know day-to-day the situation changes globally, but uh, it certainly was nice to be back in person for that event. And the significance of that, Dan, uh, I talk about this a lot because one of the things I've noticed over the years in working with, with you and folks at U.S. Meat Export Federation and a lot of the other groups that are working on uh, market development, uh, you see the importance that these other countries place on face-to-face encounters and building relationships. And you can do some of that uh, through 
Zoom and other technology, but it nothing's like that face-to-face interaction, right? Exactly right, Mike. Uh, you know, Zoom and Teams, and we, we've learned a lot the last 18 months on how we can stay connected virtually. Um, but you're right, it does not replace the social interaction. And it's no different than a lot of your listeners out there that do business in the agricultural community. You're probably not going to buy and sell with folks that you don't know very well. It's no different with buyers around the world. And uh, and, and that's really the beauty with, with having, we had 150 buyers from 21 countries in Costa Rica for a two-day event. So there's also the economies of having them together in a, one place like that where our exporters can see 150 buyers in two days. If you were to visit them in person to their countries, it would take you two months. So, uh, you know, there's some other uh, advantages of doing it as well. But, yes, you're exactly right. The, uh, this is a relationship business, agriculture, and, and our part of the business is no different. You still feel good that we'll close out the year on a high note with our meat exports? I do. Um, demand, you know, we talked about a lot of negatives uh, in the last minute or so here on, on this shipping situation, but the bottom line is that demand is strong, demand is growing, and it's pretty broad-based around the world. So, uh um, much better than I thought it would be. If you'd asked me this question a year ago during when COVID was really getting going initially, uh, I wouldn't have been as optimistic. But, but that part of the business, we're, we're pretty upbeat on. And I think the key of what you said there, the demand is broad-based. That means we're not relying upon just one market. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. You look at, uh, you look at the beef side, you have eight or nine markets that are all uh, pretty solid and strong and growing. Uh, of course, the pork side, last year the discussion was all about China, as you remember, due to African swine fever. Well, China's down this year. Uh, we're down about 20%, but we're making it up in seven or eight or nine different regions of the world. So, um, yeah, yeah, the diversification aspect of, uh, of our business is very important uh, so you're not relying on just one uh, supply chain stream very good good to talk with you again dan and enjoy your birthday <laughs> thank you so much Mike. My <laughs> take care dan hallstrom president and ceo of the u.s meat export federation so as he said it's going to take a while to get through this uh, west coast uh, port backup issue that we've had it for some time now, and it looks like we will have it right in going through the rest of this year and into the first part of next year. All right, up next, we're going to talk markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. He was at the Farm Progress Show this week in Decatur, Illinois, and he had a chance to talk with a lot of farmers, and we'll find out what he was hearing from them and what he was sharing with them as far as his thoughts on the markets. All that coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Anyone can sell you soybean seed. Channel Seedsman placed products to perform. With Channel Extend Flex Soybeans and Channel Roundup Ready to Extend Soybeans, you'll get the excellent weed control you want and the high yield potential you need. Make the most of the next season with the Roundup Ready Extend crop system and expert recommendations from Channel Seedsman. Ask a seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. 
You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Monday markets will be closed for the Labor Day holiday. Private estimates are being published ahead of next week's USDA reports. Yesterday, Stone X increased their U.S. corn yield estimate to 177.5 bushels per acre and bean yield estimate to 50.8 bushels per acre. For comparison, the August USDA estimates were 174.6 bushels per acre for corn and 50 bushels per acre for beans. The U.S. dollar index has slid lower over the past week. The index dropped over 200 points yesterday. On the Board of Trade this morning, December corn trading two cents higher at 5.27 and a half cent. The March contract up two and a fraction at 5.36 and a fraction of a cent. For soybeans, the November contract up 11 and a half cent at 12.94 and three quarters. The January contract up 11 and a half cent at 13.03. For wheat, Chicago wheat December up eight and a half cent. At 725 and a fraction, Kansas City wheat September up a fraction at 701 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat September up six and three quarters at 906 and a fraction. The December contract trading six cents higher at 905 and a half cent. In cash cattle country, it's slow to start this morning following two days of light to moderate business. Asking prices for cattle left on show lists are around $124 in the south and $204 in the north. For live cattle on the board of trade, the October contract trading 25 cents lower at 125.80, December down 25 at 131.97. In feeder cattle, September down 5 cents at 160.25, October down 30 cents at 164.72. In lean hogs, the December contract trading 7 cents higher at 82.40, February up 22 at 84.12. Once again, markets are closed on Monday for the Labor Day holiday. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. Eleven million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we talk it over with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Matt was at the Farm Progress Show this week in Decatur, Illinois, talking with farmers. Matt, uh, it was just good to be back and seeing people face-to-face and talking again, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. i tell you what, it was really nice. We, uh, we uh, talked for uh, Case IH three days and then, you know, of course, uh, walk around, do a few interviews and work with uh, several producers, just uh, – you know, talking about what's going on, the state of the economy and everything. And it, it was just nice to see uh, everyone out and about. And I think, uh, you know, the crowd is probably a little light, especially the first and last day. I think Wednesday was pretty big, though. Uh, but mm-hmm. regardless, uh, really nice to be out and about again. Well, I heard uh, several people talking about concerns uh, about proposed tax changes. I heard concerns over possible changes to waters of the U.S., and I heard frustration that more isn't being done by this administration to promote biofuels. What did you hear? Yeah, I mean, I think I heard a lot of uh, the same things. I think one of the more uh, scary uh, things for 
for most of us, uh, anybody who owns farm ground or anybody who would like to pass the farm on to the next generation is, uh, you know, some of the tax changes. Uh, it sounds to me like maybe there isn't enough support to do some of the more drastic changes like the transfer tax and the stepped-up basis uh, elimination. But uh, regardless, uh, it, it's scary that those things are being floated and that there's politicians that really want to push for that because it's not only going to be really hard for someone passing a farm down, but any any small business, you know, you'd really struggle to be able to pass that on to your next generation if that's something that they're interested in doing. And I think that's been the American way long enough that uh, people don't really like hearing it. But I think the other thing people are just concerned about is, you know, obviously uh, input costs have really come up uh, uh, for this fall and for the 22 crop. And I think there's a lot of, oh, I don't know, a lot of angst, uh, a lot of nervousness about what things are going to look like uh, coming around in 22. But at least we still have really nice, uh, you know, solid prices historically. We're still looking at really good price levels. And let's talk about that because many of the farmers you talked with this week at Farm Progress will soon be going to the fields, and they, I'm sure, were asking you, what do you think the markets are going to be doing? What would you tell them? You know, the number one question I got, Mike, which I'm sure you would like to know what that is, the number one question I got was, hey, you know what, I've got a fair amount of corn uh, and beans sold. Uh, what do I do going across the scale? You know, I don't feel good about storing $5 plus corn. You know, and that's a good question. I mean, there's no question that uh, uh, you, you got to ask yourself why you would do such a thing. But uh, the thing is, is that um, I understand wholeheartedly and would agree with a producer wanting to store some corn this fall. Uh, I do think there could be some opportunity on later. Uh, but the thing is, if I'm going to store a lot of corn, I got to be cautious as to not have some sort of risk management in place because, uh, you know, there's a lot of moving parts here. Uh, we know darn good and well if we're looking at above APH yields, uh, and I know not everyone is, but those who are looking at above APH yields, they can lock in the best income they've seen since probably 2013 or even 2012. And so uh, those were awfully good income years. I've had several producers tell me if they sold everything right now, with the yields they're expecting, it would be their best every year. And so you sure can't argue with someone wanting to do something like that. But my biggest thing is to spread your risk out. Make sure you understand that if you do want to hedge your bet on uh, prices offering a good opportunity again this year after harvest, uh, that you at least cover your rear end just in case uh, you end up being wrong on your gamble because there's a lot of chips on the table right now. Yeah, we have that rare situation this year for some, certainly not all, but for some they are looking at a big crop with good prices. So they want to maximize this opportunity. Absolutely. And so that's what I've been trying to tell the folks that are in that situation is that, you know, uh, me personally, Mike, I just tell you, and, I, you know, I, of course I've got to uh, follow my own advice whenever I put recommendations out because I've got a newsletter that, you know, that, uh, that forces me to do so. But, you know, I'm two-thirds sold on the crop that I am expecting to produce. So, uh, we kept ratcheting up sales basis our APH, and then of course we switched after pollination to expected production. You know because everyone was going to be looking at a little different crop. But two thirds of my expected production at the average price we're looking at uh, already with two thirds of my production. I think a lot of us that have two thirds sold would be looking at better income than we've seen in several years, and we've still got a third of the crop to sell. I mean, uh, you know, and so you gotta you gotta be cautious as to get lack lackadaisical or, or lazy in your marketing plan just because you're looking at a great situation, make the most of what you've got left as well. And so uh, that's what I'm trying to tell producers is uh, make the most of your situation, cover your rear end just in case the bottom falls out. Uh, but by all means, I want to I wanna be able to participate if the market goes on up again this year because I certainly think that possibility exists. Yeah, it's an opportunity for some that doesn't come around all that often. We're talking with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. What's the feel as you talk with farmers and as you look around, what's the feel of what this uh, soybean crop is going to be this year? That's a great question. And I would say that this August uh, for most folks in the Corn Belt has been really good. You know, even in the Northwestern Corn Belt, obviously there's been a lot of rain, probably a, an extraordinary amount of rain for some folks in that quadrant that were extremely dry. Some of them have even told me they got too much rain, but uh, you know as well as I do, Mike, that uh, these beans can even start turning, and if you get a really good shower on them, they can benefit. Uh, now, granted, if they're full-on yellow, you're probably done taking advantage of it, but very few beans in the month of August were in that situation. So I happen to think this bean crop has grown. I know not everyone wants to hear that, 
Uh, but if we're realistic about it, I feel pretty confident that uh, whatever the USDA was looking at, of, at as of uh, August 1 is going to be a little different situation as of September 1. And so I could certainly see this yield coming up a bushel or two, uh, and who knows? It might even creep up a little more than that. I think there's enough damage in parts of the Corn Belt that maybe you don't get a record crop, but I think it's going to be a big bean crop. Yeah, unfortunately, we know some isolated spots, Illinois, Iowa, and some other places, that have had some damage here just recently from heavy rains and wind. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, uh, a lot of times whenever you get uh, some of these rain uh, systems we've had this year, you know, you, to get the rain, you had to get some fun stuff that came along with it. And uh, unfortunately, we've seen some down corn. We've seen some hail situations. Uh, we've definitely seen some damage, and that's not a fun place to be. And you know, that's part of the reason why anyone would be a little hesitant to get super aggressive in their sales. You know, you talk to a producer that was in that uh, uh, derecho area last year. They were looking at a, a decent crop. Yeah, they were running fairly dry, but they were still looking at a you know a decent crop. And if you would have been overly hedged, boy, that wouldn't have been a fun place to be, especially with what the market did later on. So uh, bottom line is uh, you always want to spread your risk as much as you can uh, due to not just the markets but due to weather. Matt, we've been doing a lot of speculating on, on what the acres numbers will be next year and with the competition between crops uh, for those acres. How much will rising input costs and managing those costs perhaps factor into those decisions? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. We talked about that a lot in my presentation this week. One thing I'll tell you, you know, some people floating around 100 million acres of uh, of corn. You got to keep in mind a couple of things. Uh, wheat prices are pretty pretty darn good. You know, you look at KC wheat, you look at Chicago wheat, Minneapolis wheat. You know, you look at, uh, for instance, cotton at 90 bucks. Uh, there's no doubt that everyone's coming to the table wanting some acres. And so uh, that is a good thing whenever it comes down to the acres discussion for corn not getting too far out of hand. Now, I could see corn acres uh, a fair amount over soybean acres this next year uh, due to the fact, you know, that, again, you're posting a $5 bid going into a harvest of this year. Uh, but at the same time, as you suggest, these input prices are a little scary for a lot of producers. So I, I think it's going to hold back the talk of just real excessive acreage. I just think that uh, whenever it's all said and done, uh, corn acres will eclipse bean acres, uh, you know, by three or four million acres uh, it would be my guess uh, right now. And obviously there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of things that can change between now and then. I just think that uh, it's very premature to suggest we're going to get super carried away due to two things. Every commodity is very well priced right now, uh, first of all. And, and second of all, as you suggested, these input prices are pretty out of hand. Fertilizer for us is around about $100 an acre in excess of last year. And we live in an area here in, in central Illinois, I mean, uh, that rotations are pretty well locked in. Now you, we usually don't see big swings one way or the other. So where will those swings come from, you think? Yeah, I don't know that you're going to see uh, big swings. Uh, to me, there's been a lot of soybeans planted these last few years, you know, and there's no question for, for me that uh, if you've got $5 that you can lock in and a producer thinks they can get by without getting super carried away on fertilizer, they're probably going to go ahead and push those corn acres. Uh, you know, we've actually uh, heard of a lot of folks going beans on beans the last few years. Now, maybe they'll continue that trend due to input prices, but I do think cotton's going to uh, really stake its claim in the Delta and then for instance, the Panhandle of Texas, whereas uh, uh, whenever you move north, I think Milo is going to play a big role. I think that wheat and wheat country is probably going to have one of the best years we've seen on acreage for quite some time. But, uh, you know, whenever it gets into the corn discussion, uh, as far as switching around goes, I don't know that you're going to see a lot of switching around outside of the breadbasket. Yeah, maybe more wheat and then double crop soybeans, right? Yeah, absolutely. You get into uh, the places that you can double crop beans, and that's that's just an awfully profitable proposition. You look at the farm dock data on that in southern Illinois into uh, areas, uh, uh, again, in double crop country, that's been the most profitable rotation of any uh, for those producers. And so uh, a lot of folks really like that wheat-soybean rotation. If you run the math on it this year, I'll tell you what, you can't beat it with corn. Hey, when are you going to start harvest on your farm? Oh, you know, we may nose out in some next week, depending, uh, you know, th some of this stuff's really held on this year. Uh, with everyone applying fungicide, I think it's going to make things hold on a little bit more, but maybe next week. 
Yep, getting closer. All right, Matt, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Good talking to you. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Up next, we talk about cleaning the air with biodiesel. Kurt Kavarik with the National Biodiesel Board will join us next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Peak performance at harvest is a necessity. It's our expertise. Producers who look to have a successful harvest turn to FS. Our grain systems experts reduce downtime by offering the latest products, innovations, and knowledge to your grain operation. Whether you need a part in a hurry or advice on your equipment, we'll keep you running. At FS, we're always looking for ways to optimize your grain system and ensure during harvest your operation is ready for what's next. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're putting proven yield advantage to work in your fields. Extend Flex soybeans offer elite genetics built on the proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. In fact, farmers saw a 4 bushel per acre advantage and a 70% average win rate over Enlist E3 soybeans in 2020 germplasm trials. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Channel Seedsmen don't just sell soybean seed. You can trust them to understand your fields and place Channel Soybean products to perform. With the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, including triple stacked Channel Extend Flex soybeans, you can be confident you're getting the excellent weed control you want and high yield potential you need to make the most of the season. Find a Seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, looks like EPA will propose lower RVO levels for this year and perhaps increase them next year. And the fact that 2021 is almost over and we're just now maybe getting these proposals for this year. Your thoughts on that? 
We're almost nine months into calendar year 2021, and we still don't know what the 2021 volume, renewable volume obligations are going to be. Of course, they should have been finalized by the previous administration by statute on November 30th of 2020, but, but here we are. Blending right now for ethanol looks like it's going to be running at a rate of about 14 billion gallons. I'd love to see EPA set it at 15 and make refiners retire some of those RIN credits that they have been hoarding or stockpiling. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Certainly a lot of focus on climate change and the impact on certain parts of uh, our society, certain communities, certain segments of our population. Um, One thing that uh, doesn't seem to get nearly enough attention, and that is how biofuels and in this conversation, we're talking primarily biodiesel, how biodiesel can have a positive impact on air quality in communities. Let's talk about it with Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, biodiesel has a great story to tell to be part of this uh, conversation and how to address these issues. That's right, Mike, and, and always glad to be with you. Uh, as you highlight, uh, EPA has had... Uh, a renewed focus, I guess, on the impacts of climate change and uh, air pollutants on black Latino populations, uh, underserved areas, industrial areas, things like that. Um, we were we were pleased to see the report that they uh, put out yesterday with this conclusion, and we'll again be highlighting the benefits of uh, biodiesel in addressing these uh, issues. Not only does biodiesel address climate change by uh, reducing carbon emissions by on average of 74% compared to petroleum, but we also released a, port, a, re, a report earlier this year uh, done by the Trinity Consultant Group demonstrating the health benefits of using uh, B100 because of the reduced particulate emissions. Um, if you use B100 in some of these uh, most affected communities, you reduce cancer risks, uh, you reduce asthma rates, deaths, and lost labor. So it's a it, it's a message that we're, we can't convey loudly enough to this administration, both the carbon benefits of using biodiesel as well as uh, the clean air and environmental justice benefits. Kurt, I, I just get this feeling when we hear from the administration talking about these concerns and these challenges and what they want to do, it feels like they're over here and you and the biofuels community are over over theirs waving your arms and saying don't overlook us we're right here i mean we we can help you with these issues that you're addressing you're you're 100 percent on point and uh it's not an area where we're critical of the administration we recognize that if if they're talking about reducing carbon and clean air uh biodiesel and biofuels have a role to play and we're going to be at the table but you're exactly right to some extent the focus has been so heavily on what is what is the next technology beyond biofuels that that will deliver these results you know and that's the the message that we're trying to convey to the to the EPA particularly right now is they're contemplating setting volume obligations on the renewable fuel standard we are delivering these benefits today in 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 quantifiable demonstrable ways that they can count on and can rely on they should be promoting our fuels, promoting additional uh, production of these fuels to achieve the goals that they want. We all recognize that there's a significant momentum towards electrification and and EVs and and such. But even as Secretary Vilsack has has mentioned the last couple of days, even if you were to get to uh, 100% EV within the next 10 or 15 years, you know, in 2050, there's still going to be a lot of internal combustion engines on the road. So why aren't we focusing on, uh, you know, deliverables today that biofuels, biodiesel in particular, can 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 offer in terms of both carbon reduction and particulate matter? This this is why EPA should be aggressively looking towards the RFS as a way to promote these fuels. Okay, you hit the big question. 
why isn't the administration looking at what seems to most many of us to be the obvious answer here? I mean, I understand you're always looking to the future. You're looking to develop new technologies that can help address these things. But why would you overlook what you can do right now? What, why do you think that is? Well, I think within some communities there's an inherent bias against crop-based biofuels that uh, folks view crop-based biofuels as, as perhaps no cleaner than the petroleum counterpart that, that we're trying to displace. There's, Mike, there's been decades of misinformation about uh, both the, the, the ability to grow crops, to create low-carbon fuels, the, the, the acreage that's needed, the, the energy inputs required. The fact of the matter is, you know, uh, misinformation, you know, they say, the, the, old, the old saying, misinformation can, you know, travels around the globe before the, the fact gets, gets dressed in the morning. So we, we've been fighting these, uh, you know, falsehoods about biofuels for decades. And some folks just can't get it out of their mind and so they, they look to the next best thing. So, you know, that's on us. That's that's our job as as biofuel advocates, as advocates for the for the for the farmer and the and the rural agriculture development. That's our job to 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 ensure that we're getting the message across and that's why we we do things like support a Trinity consultant study to have a third party validate what we believe and what we know about the benefits of our fuel. And that our job now is to to get that message to policymakers, both both on Capitol Hill and the agencies, so that they have a better understanding as, of what we bring to the table. And Mike, just to add one more degree of frustration to this, many of the much of the information that we we rely upon to 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 bolster our arguments in terms of our our GHG benefits and our our uh, uh, pollutant benefits come from federal agencies. The Department of Energy has national laboratories that that quantify the benefits of our fuel. So the fact that policymakers aren't even listening to their own scientists within the government is is extremely frustrating. It is frustrating and for some reason you got people that think for some reason they think plant-based foods will save the planet but they don't think plant-based fuels will. I mean they just kind of they have it uh, kind of mixed up I think but uh, well the challenge continues. Keep up the good work Kurt and get your message across. Thank you very much. Glad to be with you Mike. Appreciate it. All right, Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. It is frustrating. Uh, the, a solution right here to many of these uh, issues when it comes to climate, clean air, lowering carbon levels, we've got the solution. That doesn't mean you don't keep working on new technologies and things down the road, but don't overlook what you have right now that can help you address it today. Let's, uh, let's promote those and, and encourage their use. Well, that wraps it up for today and for a busy week. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a safe holiday weekend. Hope you'll join us Monday here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash fieldposts.